Hey guys, welcome to episode 51 of A True Crime Couple. I'm Kay. And I'm John. So at the top of the show, we just want to thank everyone for their iTunes reviews or reviews on any other podcast platform. We've gotten so many five-star comments and it, it feels really good. I check every single day. I know I've said this in peri- uh, other episodes, but I am not kidding. I look it up every day. Multiple times a day. <laughs> it's actually becoming a problem. It's an addiction. <laughs> I'm just really glad that we're bringing you a show that you're happy with. So we just want to keep doing that for you. We also want to mention that we put up a new episode on Patreon last weekend. And in that episode, we covered the disappearance of Madeline McCann. If you're interested in joining our Patreon and hearing that and other bonus episodes, you can join us at patreon.com slash true crime couple. And we just bought new audio equipment with this, with the amazing donations that we were given. So we use those for the Madeline McCann episode, but this is the first time using it for the regular podcast. Yeah, first time. Yes. It's an adjustment getting used to something right in front of my face, so bear with me. Yeah, and we hope it sounds <laughs> good. I mean, because we, we like the way it looks, so we hope it sounds as good as it looks. And today we are recording as a last minute as humanly possible because we're recording. It's Mother's Day, and the episode's going to get released on Mother's Day. Um, so we are going a little bit crazy today. Yeah, we got a, a, a jam-packed day today, especially since we have to go see my mom. Um, happy Mother's Day, Mom, and Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Yes, and stepmothers and those who lost their mothers. It's a very special day. And this weekend was just crazy. Usually we record on Saturday, but I had a baby shower yesterday. So... Yesterday was insane because I do Saturday school, which is like Saturday school detention, breakfast club style. And I had that baby shower at 12, but Saturday school ends at 11. So like at the end of Saturday school, I was doing my makeup and like curling my hair. And I was telling the kids like, don't worry, guys, I've got somewhere to go. Don't think I'm weird. (laughs) (laughs) So yesterday we weren't able to record. So we are today and we're going to get it in. Then we're going to go see Johnny's mom, and then we're going to edit the episode before Game of Thrones. Before Game of Thrones. (laughs) Yes. So we hope you have an exciting day like we're going to have. And this is an interesting case that we wanted to bring you. It's unlike any case we've ever covered because it's happening in real time. Of course, as this case develops further... We will be sure to update you with extra bonus episodes, and that's not just for Patreon. That'd be for every listener. When I heard about it, I decided to interrupt the cases we have planned and write about it. This cult case is disturbing and unbelievable. It shows that anyone is susceptible to coercive control and manipulation, even the smartest in our society. And because I just totally threw this in, John has absolutely zero clue what I'm going to be talking about. So it's definitely going to be a good one. Sometimes I like that, and then sometimes I don't. Well, you like it because of the lack of research you have to do. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) (laughs) So are you ready to get started? I'm ready. Let's do it. The following quote has been taken from a report issued during a custody hearing in 2004. The subject is literally impossible to evaluate. He is able to manipulate and control almost any situation in which he finds himself including a psychological interview with a forensic examiner. Now, no matter how experienced that examiner may be, Mr. Ray is good at what he does. He can be utterly charming, and one can be disarmed by his childlike simplicity and smile. But Mr. Ray is no child. He is a calculating, manipulative, and hostile man. So let's find out just who this Mr. Ray is. Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another, are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. Lawrence Greco was born in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn in 1959. We know little facts about the man who will become Larry Ray after he takes his stepfather's last name. He is a man who somehow was able to entrench himself in some of the biggest social and political movements of the 1980s, 90s, and early 2000s that New York City has ever experienced. 
I mean, I guess I can equate him to like a sadistic Forrest Gump. I know. <laughs> I like, like it. But... Like every big event that happens, like he's kind of involved in, which is very bizarre. But and there's truly no way to explain his involvement in these events. It's just like he's there and he's somehow involved himself. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. A meaningful, sadistic Forrest Gump. That's our guy. I like that. He was able to rub shoulders with politicians, top military officials, business owners, actors, and world leaders because of his charming demeanor. Larry Ray started his acts of manipulation working on the outskirts of the five mafia families that ran the Italian mob in the New York City underworld. Larry seemed to get along very well in this world. One of the capos of the Genovese family, Salvatore Sally Dogs Lombardi, even attended his wedding in 1988 to Teresa, a woman he had grown up with. Do you know who Sally Dogs Lombardi is? Um, no. Remember the show Mob Wives, Big Ange? Oh, yes. That's her uncle. Oh, really? Yeah. That's I, pretty good. I was such a fan of that show. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> so, oh, rest in peace, Big Ange. Peace I know. You. So sad. So, Sally Dogs attended his wedding, and he was a heavy hitter within all of the five families so the fact that he was at his wedding it's seen as like okay this guy has to be involved somehow those who knew larry back then would describe him as being a talker he was the kind of guy that stretches the truth but because he's so likable you kind of just go with it like he was a wheeler and a dealer like that was how he was yeah kind of like a schmoozer yes yeah a talker yeah like that smooth talker not a smooth talker He's just somebody who doesn't stop talking and there's little truth in what they're saying, but because they're so likable, you just, you believe it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. If Larry wanted to succeed within the five families, he could have done so. But Larry believes and continues to believe that he should not be tied down as he thinks he's smarter than all of those around him. He can read a room and stay 10 steps ahead of all of those in it. Because of this, he chooses to use every situation he's in as a step up the ladder to make more money. Another person that knew him during the 1980s described him as being a chameleon. He could be a good old boy or a patriot, or he'd pull out a pipe and fake glasses and he'd be an intellectual. He would juggle 10 different people at the same time, telling each of them one piece of the story he wanted them to know and convincing them that he wanted them to be a part of his master plan. It was this ability that landed him a job on Wall Street while he was also running with various mafia crews. That's going to come into play later. It's going to be really important. He worked here despite barely graduating high school. He later chose to enter the consultation field. He helped clients in the insurance, construction, finance, and gambling industries. From the money he made, he entered into a partnership owning an Italian restaurant, which was a known mafia hangout. This business venture led to his career as a fundraiser lobbyist. Larry is basically one of those guys who you never know what he does for a living, but he always has a lot of money and he's always working. Yeah, you know those people, guys? Yeah, there's some people out there. You're just like, what do you do? Like, you know, you, like what even, do you do for a living? Yeah, like what? even when you drive down the street and you, like you see these people in these crazy houses and their crazy cars, and you just you just you kind of stare at it and be like, okay, well, what do you do? You know? Yeah, like hopefully they're not all Larrys. Yeah, I want to know what you do so I could do it. <laughs> no, or it's like you ask someone what their job is, and they're like, you know, I do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. No, what is that? Tell me. I agree. Because I know what I do. So Larry's going to use this restaurant to reach into the world of politics. And it's in this restaurant that he held a fundraiser for Patrick Kennedy, who would later go on to win a seat in the House of Representatives in 1995. So only two years afterwards. And Kennedy holds that position until 2011. And of course, he's a part of the famous Kennedy family. There is um, and always has been rumors that the Kennedys were involved with mafia dealing. So, I mean, it kind of makes sense that he would be at this restaurant. Larry then went on to co-own Malibu, which is a nightclub in Scotch Plains, New Jersey. And Scotch Plains, for those of you who don't know, it's it's a very affluent town. And that's where Larry's going to reside 
with his family, with his wife, Teresa, and the two daughters that they're going to have. It was there that he actually had a meeting with Peter Gatton. And Larry was looking to buy the businessman's popular nightclubs in New York City. And those nightclubs were Tunnel and Limelight. Now, I hope that those sound familiar because those are the nightclubs that sponsored all of Michael Alex's events during the heyday of the club kids. So that's from episode 16. And I highly suggest you listen to that because that episode was crazy. That was a good one. I really enjoyed that one. Yeah. So all of the nightclubs that Michael Alec was at is where this guy Peter Gatton owns. And Larry had so much money accumulated somehow that he wanted to buy those clubs from Gatton. Eventually, though, he turns him down. He doesn't end up buying them. But because Larry seemed to have all the connections and just know people, people began hiring him to, in quotations, make introductions. Like a, like a guest speaker? No, like, <laughs> okay, I work in the construction business, but you know somebody who, who's got a granite guy, so you introduce me to him. Like, do you know what I'm oh, saying? Okay. It's sort of like an in-between. Yes. Okay. I don't know how you write that a tax return, but that's what he like was. Like a middleman? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. <laughs> a professional. What's your tax ID? <laughs> oh, my God. So one of Larry's favorite things to do would be to brag about his time in the military. He would tell anyone who would listen about his time in the Marines. He said his top secret work there led him to the CIA. And it all seemed true because Larry would introduce those who hired him to government officials and prominent politicians. The reality, however, is just not as glamorous. According to official records, Larry only served his country for 19 days in the Air Force in 1981. He was able to introduce people to these officials because he hung around many prominent Marines. He used his relationship with these men to spread lies. He was involved in an extradition plan to remove Asada Shakur from Cuba. That's the woman who shot the police officer and then um, sought asylum in Cuba. Or he was dispatched by the CIA in 1999 to go into Moscow to stop a bombing campaign in Kosovo. And when anyone questioned him, he would show them a letter written by a NATO official that thanked him for his efforts to ensure good communication and understanding between ourselves and Russian leadership. Now, when asked about writing this letter, the NATO official who signed it said that that was a generic letter that was sent out to anyone who volunteered their time. But it looked official to outsiders. Well, right, because he's fooling people that don't know anything about it. Anything about that life. And would be enamored by it. Right. All of these relationships were bizarre, complicated, and confusing. However, the next bond that Larry will form will define him for the rest of his life and be, quite possibly, the cause of his cult behavior. In 1995, Larry met Bernie Kirik, and that name may sound familiar to a lot of you. Kirik was a young NYPD detective at the time, but he had just received an amazing promotion. He was assigned to be the driver of Mayor Rudy Giuliani. Giuliani took a liking to the detective and made him the director of New York City Department of Corrections Investigations Division. He's definitely going to be busy because there's a lot of stuff to investigate in those jails. Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Keurig was a lot like Larry. They both had streetwise charisma. Like, it's going to sound so corny, but like they were like macho guys, like... Pull no punches. Say how you feel. I'm bad with my words. <laughs> Sometimes I would say it's more like of a bravado. Yes. You only get that on the street. Like seriously, like if you're a detective or a cop and you're on New York City streets, you do get a certain way about you, a hardness. Um, where you just take no bullshit. You kind of just say how you feel. You do what you want to. You know, you kind of just right. have that way about you so yeah i understand what you're saying and i th- and that's the way curic was and that's giuliani liked that about him and he is going to go up in the ranks because of that but larry sh- shared that same personality type so the two clicked right away larry even is going to be the best man at curic's wedding wow that's, yeah that's cool so larry saw a lot of promise in his friendship with curic this meant he would stop at nothing to advance the man's political career because that only means he's climbing up the ladder with him. 
So it turns out that Larry actually did travel to Russia, and somehow he even found an influential friend there. He befriended Pavel Palazochenko, who is a longtime interpreter for Mikhail Gorbachev. When Gorbachev visited the United States in 1997, his interpreter decided to reach out to his good friend, Larry. And Larry, of course, thinking of Keurig, organized a meeting with Giuliani through Keurig. This made national headlines. It was all over the news, the front of every newspaper. And very impressed by this meeting, Giuliani, one month later, is going to appoint Keurig to be the commissioner of the Department of Corrections. That's that's a big step up. That's awesome. That's a huge step up. From being yeah. a driver of the mayor to that, it's pretty big step up. I would still like to be the driver of the mayor, though. That would be pretty cool. I would still like that. Your I mean, life would be blue blood. I do now, except with no mayor. I drive yeah. in the city all the time. <laughs> that would be so cool. Just no mayor. Just in, no mayor. Yeah, yeah it's I actually very different. Yeah. Well, whatever. I still drive <laughs> in the city. That would be so cool. I would totally do it. Another bizarre side story to this. Gorbachev also wanted to meet actor Robert De Niro in Los Angeles, and he was planning to go to Los Angeles. So he asked Larry to communicate with Robert De Niro. And De Niro, later being questioned about this, was like, I was like, who's this guy? Like, who's Larry Ray that knows Gorbachev? And like, is, isn't that so weird? That is weird. Yeah. It really is. Interesting little side story there. So Keurig is also going to help Larry's inflated ego by connecting him with an FBI agent named Gary Ure. Larry claimed that he had some useful information about a pump-and-dump sock scheme operated by his contacts in the mafia, mainly a capo in the Gambino crime family named Eddie Garofola. That's Eddie Garofola Sr., the brother-in-law of Sammy the Bull Gravano. Not to be confused with his son, who's in prison for embezzling union funds and is married to one of the women, Alicia from Mob Wives. Just saying. So I mentioned this because the FBI really wanted to take down Garofola. He was linked to nearly two dozen murders dating back to the 1970s. And it actually makes perfect sense that Garofola and Larry would be friends because Sammy the Bull is going to say this about his brother-in-law who later tried to kill him twice. It's my brother-in-law, Eddie. He caused me nothing but trouble with his devious ways, always looking for an angle. He's a schemer. He always knew how to make money, but he's got a big edge with me. His wife is my sister, and I ain't never going to hurt her. So it's interesting. They're both schemers. So Garofola, of course, is going to be friends with Larry Ray because the two kind of have the same ambition here. And with this stock market pump and dump scheme, his in with the stock market is through Larry, who worked there. I see. I see the connection. Right. And it's interesting because Garofolo is the same in the aspect where there's no love loss between family. Whereas you see here, like Sammy the Bull, who later becomes an informant for the FBI. He's going to be sent to a safe house in Arizona but the mob finds out that he's in Arizona. So the big bosses at the time are going to send Garofola over there to kill his brother-in-law. And he tries to kill him twice, but he's unable to. That's pretty crazy, right? Isn't it? So like Sammy the Bull is saying here, I could have ended him, but I didn't because of we're family. And he had no qualms about going over there and killing him twice. So you see the crew that Larry's rolling yeah. with here. Yeah, that's that's pretty crazy, actually. I mean, I, I always find, like, the mob stuff pretty interesting. And it's there's always so many unanswered questions. It's pretty interesting. I, I, yeah, I really enjoy it. It is a really interesting angle, and I think it adds a little bit more to the story here, his background. So it seemed that Larry had found the angle over his friend, Garofolo, by becoming an informant to the FBI. Larry of course, remember, who met your through Keurig, is going to tell the FBI agent that he could give him a lot of information about the scheme. So when Larry later told him that Garofolo put a hit out on him, the FBI completely believed Larry because it makes sense that he would put a hit out on him because he's a known killer. So the FBI is going to give him $10,000 
to install a security system in Larry's home. Wow. Isn't that interesting? That's a lot that's a lot of money for security cameras, I feel like. I mean, that must be like top of the, you know, top of the line. Oh, uh, yeah, no it is because I mean, obviously these guys are trained assassins, so they're going to try and bring him down any way possible. So, you would need a $10,000 security system to protect yourself and that may not always work. That's true. I mean, it only just shows where people are. It doesn't really do anything else. But it's interesting. You know? <laughs> so, he has now made all this money off of this scheme and is now uh, like getting around it and actually being protected. It's like the I feel like for him it's like the best of both worlds really. I mean, no it is you're and that's getting away with it and now you're getting protected by the people who you're kind of dealing with, you know what I mean? Exactly, that's his angle. That's awesome. So let's take a break to hear from our first sponsor, wix.com. Are you looking to start a website for your business, hobby, family or personal use? The most simple yet sophisticated looking website design platform is Wix.com. I have been using Wix for my educational website since I started teaching six years ago, and I swear it only gets better and better every year. I also know that the bus company my district uses created their site using Wix.com as well. Using a simple survey on their site, we can request and reserve buses that we need. And then we also get a price quote back immediately. It's a dream for field trip planning. So join me and over 140 million people who use Wix for their website design. You can start and publish for free and choose from over 500 stunning templates or start from scratch changing, customizing, and adding anything you want by adding your own text, images, videos, and more. If you choose to use Wix, you can gain access to the tools you need to create the website you want. You'll get unlimited storage, a custom domain, email addresses for your business, email marketing tools, premium apps, and a dedicated support team. And if what you want is a serverless, hassle-free coding, Wix code is for you. This will allow you access to website creation without limits and the ability to build your own advanced web applications and robust websites. Get started now by going to wix.com slash podcast. That's W-I-X dot com slash podcast to get 10% off. Again, W-I-X dot com slash podcast. Okay, let's get back to the show. FBI records also state that Larry was one of the worst informants of all time. Larry was telling tall tales again, with just enough truth that you can believe them, but you knew they were lies. This is his, like, MO. He would dangle the prospect of critical evidence only to backtrack later on. Now, let's not forget that Larry worked on Wall Street for a time and then suddenly had enough money to buy a restaurant and was talking about buying big-time New York City nightclubs. So what Larry was doing as an FBI informant was covering up his involvement in the pump and dump scheme on Wall Street. Yor quickly caught on to Larry's game and named him, along with 18 others, in their securities fraud scheme in March of 2000. So Larry found himself being one of the defendants, despite his attempt to kind of get one over on the FBI. But it just shows that he thinks he's smarter than everybody else. And that people won't get his game. It does. But you know what? With people like that, there comes a time where you can't get away with those things anymore. You know? And I feel like he, this is what, this has been his MO, like you said, this whole time. And now finally it's catching up with him. He's, he can't beat the FBI. You can't beat the government. You know what I mean? Nope. You can't. It's, you're not going to get away from that. So. So Larry in particular was charged with agreeing to pay $100,000 to bribe the executive of a bond brokerage on behalf of Garofola. Prosecutors acknowledged that Larry had provided useful background information to the FBI, but nothing had really helped the investigation in any significant way. In fact, they argued Larry had repeatedly lied to the FBI, so he wasn't getting any break for being an informant. Larry, in desperation, is going to reach out to Bernie Keurig, the man who was now the commissioner of the New York City Police Department. He surely would be able to cut a deal for the best man at his wedding, right? Well, when Larry reached out to him in an email, Keurig responded, I would do anything for you. However, because of my present position, I cannot interject in the investigation or the court proceedings. I'm sure you understand. And in 2003, Larry pled guilty to securities fraud 
and was sentenced to five years probation. Now, he got off lightly compared to the other defendants. Garofola had gotten life in prison. He was charged with a lot more, though. He got money laundering, the pump and dump scheme. It ended up amounting to $41 million. That's a lot of money. Yeah. Because all the other men received jail time, the judge had a lot to say to Larry. Garofolo also kind of took the fall for a lot of things that he wasn't involved in because at the time his son was involved in the scheme as well. So he took the life in prison to lessen the sentence of his son. So that's what he did. So based off of the transcript, this is what the judge had to say to Larry. He was a manipulating man who was trying to manipulate the court and he promised that he would throw the book at him if he ever violated his probation. So the judge is basically saying, you got off so, so lucky. So if you don't follow your probation to the T, you're going back to jail. People like him and others, you know, that m- may be convicted of some sort of crime, very similar to him, they're always going to repeat. Not only are they going to repeat, but it's just like when you're on, like, those are the people that you're like, oh, shit, okay. I got probation. I'm going to turn my life around and try to live on the straight and narrow. But they always find a way to fuck up the simple, like the most simple of tasks that get them thrown right into jail. Well, I think people like Larry, every time they get caught and put on trial for something or maybe even have to serve jail time, they take it as a learning experience. Oh, I just won't do that again versus a learning experience. I shouldn't do any of this again. Do you know what I'm saying? That's true. Like another way to beat it, kind of. Exactly. You, you want, you're going to wind up screwing yourself. I just never Well, of course, yeah. yeah. The like end game is not away. good. Yeah, you're just like wasting your life away in prison. It's, it's weird. Well, it's just weird because you don't think that way, which is good. I guess so. Yeah, that is good. Which is why we have a very stable life. Yes. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> so now that Larry was not going to be facing jail time, he could now turn his attention towards exacting revenge on Curic the man who refused to help him in his time of need. But while Larry was on trial, Keurig was on the rise. In the wake of the terrorist attacks on September 11, 2001, New York City had been put center stage in national news and world news. And as he was the police commissioner at the time, Keurig is going to appear on TV all the time. And he also served as an advisor in the rebuilding of Iraq. Manhattan's jail was named after him. And on December 3rd, 2004, President George W. Bush nominated Keurig to be the Secretary of Homeland Security. I mean, that's big. That is super big. This guy, oh, I don't want to say luck because it's definitely deserving. But I mean, think about well, how Well, Larry many thought he had a really big hand in all of these promotions, especially because of the Gorbachev thing. Well, yeah, true. I, I mean, I guess. But I'm just saying, like, think about it. Like, I'm not going to call it luck, but I'm just saying how many amazing opportunities did this guy have? Did he have? Yeah, it's crazy. It's great. I completely agree. But in his mind, Larry thought all of these opportunities were because of himself. So yeah. he's saying, you didn't help me out when I needed you, but look what I've done for you in your career. So he's really angry. Larry was never going to let this promotion happen in 2004. A week after being nominated, Keurig withdrew his nomination because he claimed that he had once employed an undocumented nanny. I remember that was all over the news. Two days after his withdrawal, a story broke that chronicled a slew of improprieties, all of which stemmed from Keurig's relationship with Larry. Which, of course, leads us all to believe that Larry is the one who leaked all of these stories. Wow. Yeah. I believe it. And some of the things that the article claimed were that Larry had, in fact, paid for Keurig's wedding with dirty money. Meaning that money from the pump and dump scheme. He also bought Keurig as a wedding gift $4,300 worth of furniture. And he even had given him a customized Tiffany police badge. A Tiffany police badge. Well, that kind of goes back to Teddy Roosevelt because Teddy Roosevelt had a Tiffany commissioned police badge and a knife. So and Roosevelt was a former New York City police commissioner. So he did it as like a one day you'll be police commissioner gift. 
I mean, that's really cool. But yeah. isn't like Tiffany like more for like it's women's no? Stuff, well, right? I mean, no, but they make men's jewelry too. Oh, I didn't know. It's just top of the line. That's what oh, it is. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah. You know me. I'm not really that good with jewelry I know. stuff. Okay. All right. So there was one more thing that was going to be leaked by Larry. Ready for it? I'm ready. Let's hear it. An affair that Keurig had with the editor of the National Enquirer magazine, Judith Reagan. At this point, Larry had gotten his revenge. Keurig was publicly humiliated, and he would never be credible again. He now faced city, state, and federal investigations, and this would lead to him eventually serving three years in prison. What? Yeah. See, it's like the revenge doesn't fit it. Larry didn't even get prison time, but he made sure that Keurig did. So it's kind of like, don't, don't abandon me. Don't cross me. You know what? I mean, really quickly, what, you know, Larry never thought about one thing, though. Is there a possibility that Yurik's influence helped him? Keurig. I'm sorry, Keurig. It's okay. Help him get only probation. Like, we have no way of finding out, I mean, if that had anything to do with it. It could have. Maybe he. Maybe because it was an email, he's not going to be like, hey, yeah, I'll fucking help you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's so stupid. Like, you're going to get yourself in trouble right away from an email that you're trying to help a criminal out that's being, you know, pro- uh, prosecuted. What if you just had something to do with him not serving jail time? That's a really good point. Of course, he's not going to say in the email, okay, dude, I'll help you out. He would do it quietly. So maybe he did quietly help him and he just doesn't know. And he can't contact him until, like, the probation's over. See, that's what happens when people just always talk and never fucking listen, is that he could have had a hand in it to help him. And, of course, and also, if you're rising in power and in position, you're not going to want to reach out and talk to Larry anymore. But you're going to help him. So if he reached out to you through an email, you're going to kind of deny it, shoot it down do something uh, behind the scenes to help him and then never speak to him again and just have him think, okay, see, that was because of him. Right. I understand I, you know what, what I'm saying. saying? Like, yeah. you're not going to say, hey, I helped you not get jail time. Like, you're right. not going to respond. You're going to do the action to help him and never speak to him again. Now, you know, hands are clean. You know what I'm saying? Right. We're, we're, we're equal now. So I feel like that this whole thing is so stupid because even though he didn't have all the charges like some other people, he still probably should have gotten jail time. Correct. I agree. So it is interesting, and I guess we'll never know because Keurig's never going to admit to like of helping this guy out because he was a criminal. Well, while trying to take down Keurig, Larry's marriage to Teresa was failing. Surprise. Most stories equate the failing of this marriage to Larry's attack on Keurig. But reading into the marriage, I think Larry kind of set fire to his marriage all by himself. By having a girlfriend who he didn't hide from his wife and offered up as a sex object to all of his friends. Yes, I promise that's the truth. Many witnesses say that Larry would just say, like, as a gift, oh, take my girlfriend for the night. What? Oh, yeah. my God. So, I mean, I think that has something to do with the failing of the marriage. I'm just going to throw it out there. Yeah, I mean, that's not I don't want to be one to assume, but that might have been a problem. I mean, I mean, she's she's a... She's a woman and a person, you know what I mean? Not like a car to test drive. Well, but (laughs) that's that's how Larry treated her. That's crazy. But during this time, Larry is going to become more malicious, and his main target is going to be his wife. This led to his wife filing for divorce in 2004. The two were going to remain under the same roof as they were getting their living situations all figured out so that there could be some normalcy maintained for their 15-year-old daughter, Talia. But that setup didn't work for long. A few months after the papers were filed, Teresa called the police to their house. She claimed that during an argument, Larry hit her. When police showed up, Larry, as he always does, flipped the script and claimed that Teresa was the abusive one and that, in fact, she had abused their daughter. Talia backed up her father's story. Sources close to the family stated that Talia was like a soldier for her father. Anything he wanted her to do, she would do. Anything he wanted her to say, she would say. Because of the claim of child abuse, the New Jersey Child's Welfare Department gave Larry temporary custody of Talia and her younger sister. Over the next few months, the department received multiple anonymous complaints 
accusing Teresa of physical and sexual abuse. Talia also accused her grandfather, cousin, and aunts of abusing her. Of course, all on Teresa's side of the family. Larry created websites and posted graphic accusations of child abuse against Teresa and her family. Often, Larry's blog featured letters supposedly written by Talia that read like journal entries. One entry ended, You were the single most dangerous thing to me in my entire life. During the custody hearing in 2004, the psychological reports of both parents were read to the court. Larry's you heard at the beginning of the show. Again, it stated that Larry should not be trusted and that he is a calculating, manipulative, and hostile man. The report concluded that Larry had manipulated his daughter into making these abuse statements. The investigators for child welfare found that neither Talia or her younger sister, who was four years old at the time, had been physically or psychologically abused. The accusations, he said, seemed rehearsed. When the youngest daughter was asked if her mother ever hit her, she laughed and said, that's what daddy's telling us to say. Because of what was determined in the trial, Larry was forced to immediately give back custody of the two children to his wife. Because of what he did, Larry spent six months in jail as he was found guilty of contempt of court and interfering with custody. Talia refused to live with her mother. She spent the six months that Larry was imprisoned for in youth shelters. Now, that is a little... Dramatic? Not tr- Well, yes, dramatic. But also, I mean, does it give what they all were saying some weight? Like, does it hold any weight? Because even though you're being kind of coached and kind of brainwashed into saying that your mom did things to you... I mean, but at the same time, to live out in in children's shelters, child shelters, it's weird to me. Well, because she's proving a point. She, Larry is still maintaining that this abuse did happen. So the fact that Talia is refusing to live with her mother makes it look like it is the truth. She's, like everyone said, his soldier. I guess so. Yeah, you know, yeah, you're right. Willing to put up with whatever it is to prove that her father is telling the truth. That's a little extreme. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> it's a, very extreme. All right, so let's take a break from all this craziness to talk about the game that America has fallen in love with, Best Fiends. Best Fiends is a five-star rated mobile puzzle game that can be downloaded for free on the Apple App Store or on Google Play. Discover the world of Best Fiends and its cute characters in this fiendishly fun and exquisitely colorful game. Guys, I know that I told you how I was doing in the game a few weeks ago, And I'm happy to announce that just last night, I finished level 65. It was a hard one. It took a few days to to conquer, but I did it. I'm proud of you. (laughs) I love how the puzzles get more and more challenging as you move forward. The simplicity of joining similar pieces is still the key component of the game. But as you go up in levels, things get more challenging with roadblockers. However, the more characters you collect in the game and the more you power them up, It allows for you to defeat those gross slugs, break the barrels, and collect all the keys you need to make your fiends all the more powerful. This puzzle game is one of strategy, and I love it. This casual puzzle game has over 90 million downloads globally. You can also play offline anywhere, which makes it perfect when you want to squeeze in another level while commuting. Whether you're in the subway or waiting to take off on a plane, you can enjoy this game. So don't miss out on this game of the year. Download Best Fiends today. You can solve thousands of fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Again, you can download this five-star rated game on the Apple App Store or on Google Play for free. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Okay, let's get back to this show. I just, like, this is, now it's going to start amping up and I'm getting excited. Let's do it. So Larry claimed that this was insanity. It was a mass plot to bring him down. Larry believed that in 2004, Keurig and his wife became allies in destroying him and that they had the entirety of Rudy Giuliani's camp supporting them. So his wife, Keurig and Giuliani are taking him down. The abuse accusations were true. But 
they had hidden all of the evidence to make it seem as if it were not true. They used the family court against me, Larry claimed. I don't know. I think that's a little uh, far-fetched to me. I mean, because I think Rudy Giuliani and his camp probably had a lot of other things to worry about than Larry. Yeah, three years after post 9-11 i think they were yeah a little busy and he had a big role uh giuliani in the recovery you know in new york city I mean, there was no time for that shit no he had a huge role in it i think he was one of the main people who helped new york get through it oh yeah absolutely that's why people praise him even today oh at yeah at least in new york city anyway no they do he was great according to larry's blog posts at the time judges prosecutors police federal agents and even his own lawyers were working on behalf of Keurig. Larry gave shifting explanations for Keurig's motivations. Sometimes the former commissioner was out for revenge, and other times Keurig, along with Giuliani, George W. Bush, and Dick Cheney, were trying to silence Larry because of the secrets he knew about 9-11. Okay, now, now we're starting to get into like... <laughs> tinfoil hats now i know he's getting a little crazy like, town. Right, everybody put your tinfoil hat on because <laughs> this is just out of control today with larry ray <laughs> that's insane so he told city investigators looking into keurig that on three occasions people in mysterious vehicles had pulled up beside him and shot at his car barely missing him each time but ironically he was never like in his car so there was no bullet holes in his car so it was just all a load of like paranoid bs i don't think it's paranoid i think he's trying to formulate that this plan is occurring see this is what happens this is why actually most people in the political world keep regular people like you and i out of it because you get somebody like like larry right who's a shit stirrer who doesn't stop talking you let them into your inner circle just a tiny bit and gets a little taste of like political power or justice. And this and is what this happens. Is what happens. I agree. Then you start. Then the shitstorm starts of who's out to get me. Um, you know who's on my side, who's not. It's just like it's crazy. It's too much. Yeah, no, I hate it. So soon, everything in Larry's life would connect to Keurig. In 2006, Larry was arrested after his then girlfriend accused him of trapping her in their apartment pinning her down and putting his hand over her nose and mouth after making bail larry spoke with a detective who in his report wrote that larry said that he is currently involved in a major government investigation and that this domestic violence incident was made was made up to place him in a bad light and later on the girlfriend is going to withdraw this complaint so the case is going to be dismissed the domestic violence arrest was one reason federal prosecutors argued in 2007 that Larry had violated his probation in the pump and dump conviction. <laughs> the pump and dump. Uh, sounds weird. <laughs> the, the government declared him a fugitive and U.S. Marshals spent weeks trying to find him. Eventually, they tracked his cell phone to an apartment on East 93rd Street. Five marshals broke down the door and found Larry and Talia inside. The marshals pinned Larry to the ground and handcuffed him, breaking his arm. They were a little mad. According to the Washington Post, one marshal recalled hearing Talia scream, Police corruption. This is because of Mayor Rudy Giuliani and Bernard Keurig. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> like, she is yeah. in deep, man. She's in it. Yep. Br completely brainwashed. Yes. So while Larry was in prison for violating his parole, Talia Ray enrolled at Sarah Lawrence College. Sarah Lawrence is a private liberal arts college in Yonkers, New York, and it's really prestigious. It's known for its highly individualized environment. What it focuses on is building and empowering each of its unique students through small class sizes and individualized student graduation plans. It follows the one-to-one Oxford-Cambridge system of student-faculty tutoring. So each student is provided a faculty member. In 2011, it was ranked in Princeton Review's top 10 list for class discussions and best professors. So that's always what we tell like our students. Um, it's, it's weird, especially being a high school teacher. You kind of have a little bit more of an understanding about colleges, you know, that we have in the United States. And... Every college has a 
a stigma, whether it's a good stigma or it's a bad stigma. But the stigma surrounding Sarah Lawrence is, is that it takes those unique students who are, I know it's hard to explain, like interesting characters. Like they're very artsy, they're emotional, they're focused on changing the world. Like that's a Sarah Lawrence student to me. That's what I, it would, a student, it takes a lot to tell a student that that would be the place they should be. They have to be very passionate and emotional. Now you have to be in it to go to Sarah Lawrence because it was also voted the most expensive college in the country. And it's true to live at Sarah Lawrence and go to school. It's going to cost $67,000 a year, a year. Oh my gosh. That's That's, a lot of money. No, it's crazy. It it is crazy. But you know what? I mean, it's a lot of money for a liberal arts school. Oh yeah, totally. Well, it is what it is, I guess, but I never even heard of the school before, but really sounds cool. Um, so really Sarah Lawrence is kind of where you go if you're rich and you're a budding activist or writer. And this is what drew Talia Ray in. She wanted to be an activist fighting for the justice of her father. Talia at 20 years old was a little older than most of starting freshmen. And it was because of this, she easily became what you could call the head of her friend group that she established. Now, everyone in this group had heard Talia more than once go on and on about her father. He was a truth teller who had been silenced by a group of powerful and vindictive men. And she said that he had been sent to prison for his heroic efforts to have her and her younger sister taken from their abusive mother. The only reason he was in jail was because of a deep-seated government corruption scheme. And those in her friend group believed Talia and admired her for standing up and speaking out about this corruption so openly. So when it came time to figure out housing for the following year, their sophomore year, the established friend group of students applied to live in a dorm called Slonum Woods 9. This is essentially a two-story condo that was built in 1977 in the Tudor style at the center of campus. It's two stories, and there are two bathrooms, a kitchen, and a large living room, and eight separate individual bedrooms. Both Talia's female and male friends lived in the dorm house together, as since in 2004, Sarah Lawrence allowed for all-gender housing, meaning that students could share housing assignments regardless of gender. I'm sure parents were really happy about that. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. They were all starting their sophomore year living in at the center of campus, in the middle of it all. They couldn't wait for what the year had in store for them. Your sophomore year of college is really exciting because you kind of have established who your friends are and the craziness of freshman year is over, so you know what you're expecting. So it's, it's an exciting time to be in college. The core group that Talia was friends with were all sensitive, vulnerable, 19-year-old children who would have no idea what they were in for and among this core group were juliana a beautiful quiet girl daniel who was exploring and questioning his sexuality claudia and santos who both struggled with depression and isabella who had just gone through an emotional and difficult breakup of course we're holding these students last names because we really don't want who they are to get out because what happens to them is terrible And this is actually, I don't know, connects with me because when they're starting their sophomore year was when I started my sophomore year. That's cool. Of college. Yeah, that's interesting, right? So, yeah, they're all my... To get get into my headspace in my sophomore year of college, it was exciting. And that's just kind of your whole world, the people who you're living with. And it's all important. But you still have that emotionality of a teenager where breakups really do affect every part of your life and to struggle with depression at that time would make you extremely vulnerable and that's what people were they they found each other and were kind of clinging on to creating normalcy in their life so what's going to happen to them is going to be extremely unfortunate because a few weeks into their fall semester the fall semester of 2010 larry ray had been released from prison 
Talia told her housemates that her father needed a place to crash while he was looking for somewhere to live. Now, this mostly unfazed the roommates, as the suite was very big, and if anything, they could retreat to their own rooms if they were annoyed with any type of unwanted presence. But when they described what the suite was like, they said they were very a different group of students, pretty eccentric. They they were talking about um, putting sand in their kitchen and making it a beach-themed kitchen. So, like, they were just an interesting group of kids. So, like, it didn't really bother them. They were very easygoing. Right. However, they would learn pretty quickly that Larry was very difficult to ignore. And over time, they actually really enjoyed listening to him. Okay, so before we go any further, let's take a break from the show to hear about our third sponsor. It's actually another podcast, and we think you're going to love it, The Lonely Brain. The Lonely Brain is a new independent podcast telling true crime stories of the strange, the wicked, and the wonderful. And it can be found on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. But don't take it from us. Let's listen to a clip from the creator. On May 18th. 1927, hell came to Bath Consolidated School in Clinton County, Michigan. For over a year, the school treasurer, Andrew Keogh, secretly planted 500 pounds of explosives inside the school building, hiding dynamite in pipes, under floorboards, and behind plaster. Andrew Keogh killed 38 children and six adults. Another 50 were injured yet only a quarter of the explosives actually detonated. The Bath School bombing is one of the worst school massacres on American soil to this day, and it's also the least known. To hear more about this story and others like it, tune into the Lonely Brain podcast with host Fitch Francis. Who is he? Where did he come from? The Lonely Brain is an independent podcast sharing true stories of the strange, the wicked, and the wonderful. Don't be afraid. Everything's going to be fine. So that sounds amazing. And if you're anything like me, you're always on the hunt for new and interesting podcasts. And I hope you enjoy this one. All right. So let's get back to the show. Larry didn't just discreetly move into his daughter's dorm room. He completely took it over. He planted his roots down in the common room and won over the housemates by cooking steak dinners and ordering expensive deliveries. He would also clean the house, taking on the dad role. Each night after cleaning up, he would retire to the couch or the air mattress in Talia's room. While the man ate with his daughter and her seven housemates, he would tell them all of his tall tales. How he was in the mob, but was a double agent working for the CIA and the FBI. How he knew foreign dignitaries and world leaders. How he helped orchestrate a ceasefire in Kosovo. And one time he even put together a meeting for Mikhail Gorbachev and Bobby De Niro. But most of all, he loved to preach the values of the Marine Corps and continually dropped references to his relationships with high-ranking American military officials. This was everything that the sweetmates were dreaming of. They're all budding writers, journalists, and this guy they thought was going to be like their kind of key to everything. So he connected with them. That was his way in with them. Right. Nice and then he disarms them. You know what's, you know what too? Really quickly, I'm sure like anybody that's ever been in any branch of military at any point, if they are listening right now, they'll appreciate when I say this. This guy, Larry, is just, he loves to do what we call, well, not me, but stolen valor. So like he, you know, he might not wear, like walk around with military outfits, but he pretends to have involvements and have been places that he hasn't and his credentials aren't really what they are oh, and not people at all. like that like i have no respect for them you know like it's just because people right. really Tell are stories. doing these things and yeah. not talking about exactly. it Exactly. like people are really going out there and men and women are out there and 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 they come back and they and they fought for us and it's just like people that do this shit it's so wrong you know but yeah you know he's he is a shit stirrer, but he's also someone that people will gravitate towards because they think that he's telling the truth. Exactly. Now, Larry was also physically intimidating. Although he was of average height, he was overweight, giving him a hulking frame. 
He had a clean-shaven head and wore nothing but polo shirts. And to say the very least, especially because of his age too, he was very out of place at Sarah Lawrence. And his presence was very much known. One of the roommates recalled a time where he screened the cosmos in the common room of the dorm. And everyone sat on the floor on pillows and watched it. Then they stayed afterwards to listen to an impromptu lecture on the nature of the universe. And they were hanging on every word. Larry claimed that it was fate and the universe that had brought them all together. There was a purpose for everything, he kept repeating. And the purpose for all of them meeting at the exact time was that he was supposed to help them. The sweetmates had all admitted separately to Larry that they had thought about or attempted to, in the case of Santos, take their own lives. He told them that he knew techniques to help discipline their minds, that he received this training from the government. This is where he began to individually counsel the sweetmates. The first sweetmate to get intensive therapy from Larry was Isabella, Talia's best friend. Isabella had come to Sarah Lawrence on a full academic scholarship from an all-girls Catholic high school in San Antonio, Texas. About her beginning sessions with Larry, Isabella says that she had just gotten over a breakup and she was having a lot of difficulty making sense of things. She was contemplating suicide. She was 19 years old, confused, and not in a good place. She went on to explain that Larry helped her process and make sense of a lot of things that she was unable to. During this time, Talia had a boyfriend who always stayed in the suite as well. First of all, I would be, I'd be annoyed. I would be the one suite mate that wasn't down there for the movie, that was annoyed that people had their pillows on the floor, like that's gross. And I would be like, who are all these people staying here? Are they uh, paying tuition? Yeah, I, I would. That would like be it. me. <laughs> well, actually, I want us to be honest. I think. If I well, first of all, I never went to college. But if well, I went to community college. But if I was away at a school, I was I would probably be the person that's just stayed in their room all the time, unless I was leaving to go somewhere. Well, that's not true. You're very social. I'm super social, but if someone's really annoying, I just I I, I tend to like be a hermit yeah. until I have to go and hang out with friends somewhere else or something. But like if I was living with those people and they were annoying as hell, I'd just stay in my in my room. No, it can get annoying. Yeah. Uh, I remember one of my roommates had this friend that was always over and she would shower at our dorm and then she would like sleep on the couch. But then like I'd wake up and like be getting ready to go to class. She'd be like, can you keep it down? And I'd be like, um, I live here. You're like, what the I hell? will make yeah. my eggs. Exactly. No, that's crazy. <laughs> so Talia's boyfriend, who was an also ever-present member in the suite, recalls walking past Isabella's room as she was getting counseling from Larry. And he saw Larry and Isabella laying across her bed, him embracing her and stroking her hair. And he kept saying to her over and over again, nobody's going to hurt my baby girl. I know. Oh, my God. No. So Larry then announced to the house that he was going to begin sleeping in Isabella's room. Of course, he would be on the floor, he said, but she just needs someone in there with her. One of the sweetmates, Juliana, later recalled that no one seemed to react to this because they just understood. She said Isabella was pretty fragile at that time. And she like so insightfully then says, in fact, we were all pretty fragile. So we understood. I almost feel like all I, those people probably I feel so bad for them. Well, I feel bad for them, but they probably should have like no. never allowed him to go in there in the first place. But because of the place they were in and because they were all so fragile, no one was in the correct place to say no. I agree. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, I agree. He they, found the perfect group of people. Exactly. And then my thought process is, did Talia find the perfect group of people? Absolutely. She's just like her father. She was the orchestrator of this yeah. all, and she organized the housing as well. Yep. I agree. So about a month later in December, Larry is going to call Isabella's family in Texas right before she's supposed to return home for winter break. Larry told her mother on the phone that Isabella had been sexually abused as a child by a family friend. And it's because of this, Isabella cannot return home for break. He feared that if she returned home, that she might attempt suicide. 
Isabella's mother was terrified. She had always thought that she was close with her daughter. So she was upset that she had never told her about the abuse she suffered. Larry, however, did not spare the woman's feelings. And before hanging up, he said to her, you let this happen to your daughter. So instead of returning home to Texas, Isabella spent her winter break with Larry, Talia, and Talia's boyfriend in a one-bedroom condo Larry had rented on East 93rd Street, the one he had been picked up from, from an old friend. Talia and her boyfriend slept in the living room while Isabella and Larry shared a bedroom. Talia's boyfriend at the time recalled, Larry controlled every aspect of our lives once we were in the apartment, when we ate, what we did, when we went to bed. Larry told Talia's boyfriend to stop taking his prescribed antipsychotic medication. He was so disturbed by Larry's behavior that he broke up with Talia as soon as winter break ended. So I am so happy that guy left. That was the smartest decision he's probably ever made. That's the smartest person out of that whole entire group. Yes. Well, Larry returned to Slonem 9 with his daughter and Isabella for the spring semester of 2011. With a sense of determination, he was going to apply what he had done over winter break to the entire house. He consistently held house meetings and had family dinners, none of which you were able to miss. And during one of these meetings, Claudia, who suffered from depression, is going to take an interest in what he was talking about and asked to have more private sessions with him. Claudia had grown up on the outskirts of Los Angeles, and her friends back home described her as being beautiful, smart, and creative. However, the battle of maintaining what you want the world to see and how your depression makes you feel was becoming more and more strenuous for Claudia. She believed that Larry could help her by strengthening her mind like he said he knew how to do. Juliana was beginning to keep her distance from the group that was now clinging to Larry. But it made her able to observe things that others couldn't because they were so wrapped up with this manipulative man. Juliana says that when Claudia began seeing Larry more often, it was like something snapped in her. Prior to their meetings, she had been funny and self-aware, but now she seems, as she put it, artificially chipper. The outside world could see a change in Claudia as well. She began posting about the Marines on her Facebook page and how much she admired them, obviously meaning Larry. She also began telling people that she thought she could be schizophrenic. This is what Larry told her she suffered from during one of their individual sessions. And it seemed now as if those one-to-one sessions that the parents believed that they were paying for were no longer happening professor to student, but Larry to student at Sarah Lawrence. And things were getting more and more dangerous. I can't even believe. Can you imagine you send your kid to college and this is what's happening? I can't even believe that he has... Put him in the middle of all these people, and has really like manipulated everyone that he's he put himself at there. A school and just like making these people, all these students, like worship him. It's fucking weird. I know. I think that he was just so bored that he didn't know what to do. But this is his. I MO. think this is his. I'm going to because he served jail time. He's exacting revenge on society, and this is his master plan. And his daughter's helping him do it. Now, things are only going to get worse, and this is going to be a two-part episode. So we are going to record the second half of this episode on Monday. So you're not going to have to wait two weeks to get it. You're We're going to release it in just a few days. So this is part one of the Larry Ray sex cult Sarah Lawrence scandal. So please, please Don't read up on it. Wait for us to tell you about it because it gets good and I don't want any spoilers. Yeah, no spoilers. (laughs) I can't wait. I can't wait. So again, we are going to release this episode in a few days. Don't have to wait two weeks for it. And we can't wait to bring you the second part of this. But it's a long one. So we want it to cut it short. Again, if you like the podcast, please subscribe. 
on any platform that you listen to and leave a review, preferably five stars. That would be really helpful. And if you are feeling generous enough to donate, you can do so at patreon.com slash true crime couple. And please, please make sure you check out everything that our sponsors are offering you. They're amazing deals. They're great games. They're good podcasts. And we would only bring stuff to you that we think you would enjoy. So I'm excited to see you guys in a few days. I always say see. Talk to you. Talk to you soon. I'm excited to talk to you soon. (laughs) Also, let us know. Well, one final thing. Let us know um, if you like the way we sound or we sound better. Just want to know. Um, we just want to bring you the best quality sounding podcast. So if you could just let us know, whether it be in the reviews or on Instagram or anywhere else, really. Yes. Just let Tell us, us know how, how you sound. feel. Exactly. And everyone have a wonderful Mother's Day. Can't wait to go get sushi at your mom's house. Oh, yeah. Mm. Happy Mother's Day, everyone. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.